Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G., Thank you so much for joining us. We are back. We took a little break to live a little life, to get our shit together, to coordinate a few things, to start working on some more episodes for y'all. This episode I'm so excited about. This is comedian, author, storyteller, Kelly Stone. She's done it all. She's lived a life and she tells us all about it. So we're going to get right to it. We're going to get started. Here's Kelly Stone, y'all. I'm really excited for this guest. Uh, this is someone like I've known for a few few years. It's been a little longer than that. Kelly Stone's here with us. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I think we met in uh, 2015. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> I would have said like 2017 or 2012. Like I, I don't know how time works ever. But Kelly was in New Orleans for four months. So I met her out doing doing comedy and just hanging out and actually it's it's your fault that I met my ex-girlfriend of five years. How is it my fault? <laughs> yeah, we went to uh Kelly because Kelly's hooked up with everything. Um and we'll we'll get into Kelly's life, but I'm gonna tell this quick story. So Kelly got hooked up with tickets to something called Mom's Ball. Um, which you're not from New Orleans, Mom's Ball, they do this huge ball for Mardi Gras and then they do this huge ball for Halloween. So they have this huge Halloween party, everybody gets dressed up. Kelly was emceeing it, was doing jokes at it. Um, and she got like 10 tickets and she said, you know, you want to, you want one of the tickets? You want to come? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And I went and I, it was Halloween. So we were dressed up. I was dressed up as a sailor. Uh, my ex was dressed up as a pirate and she came up to me and she said, oh, I've seen you do stand up. You're funny and you're beautiful. And I said, this is what I said. I said, look me up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm slick. I'm slick. And, uh, but she did. And then we dated for five years. Wow. Yeah. So then that should be the time and math for you right there. If you can connect having met her <laughs> through me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I was trying to forget about that. Yeah, man. <laughs> if I could go back to mom's ball, that was a great time. That night was weird. It was weird. Yeah. Not, not, not anything to do with, with meeting uh, my ex, but it was just a weird performance space. Cause it was kind of like a, a party with a DJ and everybody's dancing and, you know, people were drinking and, probably were doing a lot of drugs. And then they were like, now we're going to have these performances and everyone needs to focus and be quiet. And it was like, how, how do you do that? But you were able to wrangle people. Well, um, because I was emceeing the costume contest. So, you know, people want to show off their costumes. <laughs> yeah. And they want to win. <laughs> yeah. I think there was money involved. I have no idea. It's funny. Isaac Cosell, uh, he remembers the mom's ball too. He was in that group. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I just invited a bunch of comic friends. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all like, oh my God, a free thing to do. Yeah, we're all going. Yeah, yeah. Because I think tickets were like 25 bucks each. So that was like $250 value or whatever it was. I just, that just popped into my head. I was like, oh, I got to blame her for this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Great way to start off a, an interview. I'm like, it's all your fault. No, I don't know if you feel this way. Like as a performer and, and you know, now I've been single now for a minute and I'm trying to get out there and, and date. And I feel like it's, because I'm so public, it's my obligation to not obligate. It's my, it's on me to, to approach. It's on me to ask somebody out. It's on me to do a lot of these things because people just feel like you're so public. 
that they don't, and they're not necessarily intimidated, but I think, I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's this weird, this weird thing. Like this last girl that I hung out with was like, I can't believe I'm hanging out with a professional comic. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I have a day job. So that means I'm not a professional comic, but like, I feel like if I didn't ask her out, she wouldn't have asked me out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. And I, I, I think for me, I, my last two relationships, which I'm very happily single and I'm like not even trying at all to date anybody, but the relationship I had that concluded at the beginning of my New Orleans time uh, was a very insecure person. And so they had a hard time with my fame, if you will. And we couldn't go anywhere without people knowing me or, you know, and so it was like, it was really problematic. And then I later ended up in a relationship where like, it didn't bother them at all, you know, where they would just like, happily, you know, kind of sit quietly while I engaged because anytime we were out anywhere, people would talk to me, you know, but so I guess I don't really know for the initiation of a relationship from this, probably just because I reject everything right now. Like every, <laughs> everyone that asks me like, Hey, do you want to go get some food? And I can tell that it's because, you know, you, you like me like that. I'm always like, no, <laughs> um, I think COVID really helped me, um, see how much I like being alone. Uh, <laughs> that's where I'm at. COVID was the reverse for me. Like I realized how much of an extrovert I am and how much of a struggle. I, I think a lot of people that like thought they were extroverts learned very quickly that they were introverts and that this was great and that they didn't or people with like FOMO where they like felt like they had to be out and do things and be everywhere and then all of a sudden there was nowhere to be and they were like oh I actually like doing things in my home I actually like being alone and I was the opposite I I couldn't sit still I had a very like claustrophobic kind of COVID Oh, wow. And well, and I have, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but I have two kids, you know, and so, and now they're 14 and 12. So I feel like I'm, I'm not alone, alone. I've got these other people in my house and, you know, they're really cool. And so I know a lot of people too in COVID were like really craving physical touch, like, cause we weren't even hugging each other. And I still at least had people to like snuggle me and granted not in like a gross sort of a way, you know, cause they're my kids, but I still have like physical touch and, and I have, you know, that. So, and that's kind of, I'm happy with that right now. Like team stone, we're cool up in our house. I got a dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just any, like, I think any in-person interaction is, is different than anything on zoom or through a screen or you know, anything like that. I think there's like this, and the same with like stand up. I've, you know, said this on a few episodes, but like doing stand up on Zoom, you miss this like personal connection with people that you really can't have unless you're in the same space with them and you can feed off their energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I mean, that's, and there was the, there's the vagina monologue, right? I was there in the room, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> which is very different, um, you know, birthing versus um, stand up, but. Yeah, I think, yeah, being in a shared space really helps with a shared experience. And that's why sometimes, too, it really sucks when people are, like, filming your comedy with their cell phone and then they post it trying to be helpful. But it's, like, it seems super bad because it's way out of context of, like, what was happening in that room, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. So how long have you been doing stand-up for? I, my very first open mic ever was in November of 2006 in Philadelphia at Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia. Wow. You remember, like, you remember the exact date and the moment 
Well, what's weird about it is, well, it, it was back in the MySpace days and one of my friends recorded it. And so it's still on YouTube. So that's where I can like still see the day. And I believe it was posted on November 19th, 2006. And I ended up, my first son was born November 20th, 2007. So it was interesting. That was like my, kind of my first baby. And it was about a year before that I had gone and watched an open mic because I had never really seen a comedy one. And I just kind of wanted to understand. Um, and it took me about a year. And then I invited all my friends out and it was, I'm going to Helium and I'm signing up. And it didn't even occur to me that I might not make the list. Like I just assumed like- you Yeah, it's open, open mic. It's open, open mic, right? But it's also, the, it was the A club in Philly. So of course they can't like put any anybody that wants on there. I get it. And then they also like reformat the list and stuff. But there was a kid, I think he was 16, who had been taking the train in from Jersey and he was like, Hey, do you think you're going to get on the list? And I was like, would I maybe not, you know? And it was like his third or sixth week in a row of taking the train in from Jersey and signing up and not making the list. And uh, he actually made the list too. So it was both of our first night. And now I'm not, I'm not going to remember his name, but he's like one of the old guard, like comics in Philly now. Um, oh. Yeah. And it's pretty cool um, that we our very first night was the same night in November of 2006. Yeah, you had that camaraderie. Had you done performance before that or was it just specific stand up that you were interested in? No, that's a good question. Um I no, I've always been a thespian. In fourth grade, I ended up cast as the Ghost of Christmas Present, and I had purple hair and a Thriller shirt, and I like came out on stage, and I was like, "You've never seen anything like me before," with like a boombox. It was the '80s, and that like really like I loved, I loved being on stage. And then in junior high, I was in everything drama from sixth grade through eighth grade. I was the president of the drama club, and I competed in UIL with improv and do it acting and one act play and all that stuff. And in high school, I chose sports more than theater, but I still did one act. And then I kind of dropped all of that. And then in college, actually in graduate school, uh, I auditioned for the Vagina Monologues. And I remember like just how thrilled I was after the audition. I ended up, you know, getting a part, obviously. And I didn't know at the time that like they don't really turn anyone away from the Vagina Monologues. <laughs> <laughs> but I was cast as uh, the woman who loved to make vaginas happy. The one with all the moans, because she's like a dominatrix for yeah um and so and then that like sort of rekindled it in me and i'd been toying with stand up john stewart was one of my muses having a show like the daily show or doing something that's like intellectual and comedic was really what i was striving for i always wanted to have a talk show and so um i saw stand up as a a platform or a, an impetus to to other um, stuff. So like being like a headliner in comedy clubs has never really been my goal, but I've seen it as like a, a vehicle um, to do that. Yeah, I always think that's interesting because a lot of people think, oh, you, you do stand up that your goal is the Netflix special or the HBO special. And it's like a lot of people that is not necessarily their goal. Sometimes their goal is to be a better comedy writer because they're working on a pilot or a character right. or, you know, their goal is to do something like comedy adjacent. So yeah, no, I, um, I mean, I have a master's degree in health education and I taught at the college level for a long time. And so I see, I see a lot of what I do as edutainment. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I actually um, even was looking into it. And interestingly, Bill Cosby's uh, dissertation was on edutainment um, with, yeah, yeah, uh, with um, Fat Albert. Like that whole like series was designed to be educational and entertaining. And I was just on a book tour in August. That's the last time I saw you. And um, where I stayed in Philly was right across the street from Bill Cosby's house. I stayed at one of my really wealthy friend's houses and uh, he pointed it out and he was like, yeah, that's Bill Cosby's house. And when they let him out recently, um, helicopters and all this stuff. So I was like, given his yard the ojo and the stink eye and I was like I'm gonna shit in his yard (laughs) but I did not because I kept like I was like well what happened well I would like I knew I had to be fast about it if I was gonna go like publicly shit in someone's yard (laughs) um and so I would like work myself up so much and like staring at it like so mean and hard that then all of a sudden I would just have to shit right then um so <laughs> i was like i'm probably not gonna make it to his yard <laughs> yeah he probably also has a couple cameras i would imagine i don't i would have like been like you know flipping them out like i would not <laughs> like i would not have cared what's he gonna do you know yeah Make a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But part of that tour too, I ended up in Galveston and I was walking through a cemetery where I, uh, one of the headstones, they were so proud of their KKK membership that it was on the headstone. So I did piss on that grave. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one, not as, not as high a public image right now. Right. Um, You know, no helicopters around. So you had, you had all the time to to sit and wait for that, the right moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I acted like I was taking a picture and I just pulled (laughs) over to the, and I just like peed. Yeah, it was, I felt pretty proud of that. Yeah, I feel pretty proud of that as well. You are you you're originally from Texas? I am. I was I was born in Houston, moved around quite a bit as a small like small child, uh mostly due to poverty and then ended up in Houston in 4th grade where and so that's where I yeah, 4th through 12th grade I I was there and then I moved to San Marcos, Texas in uh, 1996 to work on my undergraduate degree and lived in Austin for a little bit for grad school and then moved up to Philly for more grad school. And uh, boy, I I sure like school. (laughs) They trick us when we're younger, you know, you know, I talk about this all the time because like I am like, if I could go back in time, I would not get my, you know, my law degree. Uh, But when I was 18, you're told this, you got to go to college, you got to do that. And then when I'm 22, and they're like, we're going to throw you out in the real world. I was like, no fucking way. I'm going to go to more school. And then when you are thrown out in the real world, you have so much debt and you don't know how to function in the real world. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I had four years off in between undergrad and grad school, and I actually worked in higher ed. And um, so I had to sit in on faculty meetings and I was tired of being condescended to for being the only bachelor's level person in the room, you know? Oh, no. Yeah. And um, what a crime and a tragedy. Right. It was, so, oh, I, I really hated it. And so I think, and that's always like a, I don't know, an ex- a socially acceptable. I mean, it's, it's acceptable to quit a job whenever you can quit. You can say no anytime you want. Right. But it's ex- acceptable to leave for graduate school. Right. And so that was kind of my, my out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like the real world. I don't like it. I'm just going to go back to that school thing. Yeah. I just, I, uh, I don't know. I don't like being condescended to. I'm tired. I get tired of being told to know my place. And I think as a woman, there's a variety of ways that society tends to do that. And it's, um, it pisses Mm -hmm. me off. (laughs) Yeah. No, one thing I've been, uh, 
at work, I, I noticed, and I try not to, like, I don't want to chastise anybody because I don't think that's the right thing, but, like, I notice a lot of women just say sorry for, like, no fucking reason. They're just like, sorry to bother you. Oh, sorry, this took a second. Sorry, I sat in this chair. It's like, you're not, like, don't be sorry if, if it's not something you should. I said, if I spill coffee on you, I am sorry and I'll apologize. But, right. like, if you're just in conversation and then you don't have to, like, constantly be saying sorry, but it's a thing. And I don't know how I got programmed in in a lot of women because I do it too that's why I noticed it because I was like why why am I saying sorry like I'm not sorry I didn't do anything to be sorry for right no there was one day in class um most of my students were women because I taught in family and consumer sciences um so many um of my students were looking for their MRS degree but I one day there was some subject and I swear it was six women in a row that like raised their hand to say something. And every one of them prefaced what they were saying with some form of an apology of like, maybe this is a silly question or you've probably already covered this or I'm sorry. But, and finally, like after the sixth one, I was like, do you guys hear yourselves? And I went through and like named every, and I'm like, don't, don't apologize for seeking information or for engaging or for speaking literally in the place where like this is what this is what you're you're paying for this like you're here to learn so fucking learn yeah like ask a question if you don't get something yeah yeah i say that you know uh people say to you like oh that's, i know this is a stupid question I'm like there are no stupid questions right right i know that sounds trite too but it's true i'm like it, it's not a stupid question if you don't have the answer and i have the answer asking me doesn't make the question stupid it doesn't make you stupid it doesn't make me smart it's just like hey we're humans functioning I will give you this information. You will now have this information. You may give it to somebody else five minutes from now. Like there's no, you know, we don't have to preface it with that shit. I'm like, cut that stuff out, you know, cut out the word should. <laughs> I, I'm sound very aggressive right now, but. <laughs> well, Stephen Covey, you know, seek first to understand. I think that's a part of my philosophy too. I think with parenting and again, with edutainment, right. It's like a lot of times people don't know until they know, you know? And so sometimes we have to bring that to our attention that people are apologizing or, you know, but there's a lot of things um, that people don't talk about and um, we don't talk about it until we talk about it. And so that's why I try to be pretty transparent in a lot of the the stuff that I bring up because there's things that were surprising to me about my body and going through pregnancy or in depression, mental health, all these things. Like, and the more we talk, that's why I think the Me Too movement really caught so much wind because that's what it is, right? It's like somebody says something and then they go, me too. <laughs> and then the more that we talk about it, the more we talk about it. Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, I, men don't realize this, but like, I mean, obviously, like the Me Too is it's not something like that. We're like surprised this is happening. And a lot of men were genuinely surprised. And it's like women. Oh, yeah, this happened. And, you know, like all I used to like joke about like, oh, I moved out of New York because I was tired of getting groped on the subway. But it's like, that's a real thing that happened to me pretty regularly, like regularly enough that like, it shouldn't happen at all. But it's Gross. like, but yeah. you're just kind of like, oh, that's just what how you go on the subway and you're a woman and it's gonna happen. And some guy's gonna take his dick out. And like, that's a thing you're going to see more than once in your life. And you're going to be like, Oh, what a gross guy. But like, then you move on, even though that's like a trauma. And then he's finally talked to other people and they're like, that's happened to me too. And this is how I felt about it. And, and it's so interesting that some men I've talked to, I don't know why like men, you know, they're like so comfortable talking to lesbians, but like, they're just <laughs> like wow, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, like this is an everyday constant thing that we have to be aware of and conscious of. And, and, 
in a way that you don't have to, that you have the luxury of walking around this universe without that. They have the luxury of a lot of things, you know, walking alone at night, <laughs> like all of these things yeah. that we've been conditioned that, you know, it's our fault or we need to teach people not to rape. We need to teach people not to assault. Like if you're alone in an elevator with somebody, leave them alone. You know, like it's, it's not hard. <laughs> no, no, it, that sounded pretty simple to me. <laughs> What was it like growing up in Houston, like just in Texas in general? But like, is that because you're a pretty like liberal person? And I think Houston's got liberal pockets. But like, you know, every time I've been to Texas, like when I went to visit you in Texas a couple of years ago, you know, I went to an old Navy and some guy had a, had a gun on his like hip, making sure that we all knew he had a fucking gun at Old Navy. Right, right. It was just a very weird, like, culture shocky thing for me. Yeah, so, I mean, I wasn't always a liberal. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well... I grew up in a violent household with a lot of poverty, and so my escapism and being away from home was my main goal. And so I was in every club, every student organization, like everything possible to be busy, busy and away from home. And so I also joined the youth group at my local Baptist church. And I ended up dating the Baptist pastor's son from eighth grade through 12th grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, um, I wrote and directed a Jesus play. I was the most outstanding girl camper at church camp uh, for a couple years in a row. I've even, I've described this to people. I used to compete in like Bible sword drills, which is like where you all, you have your Bibles and you're all standing in a line and then they'll like call out like a verse, like Matthew 7, 1 or like whatever. That'd be actually a really easy one. But, and then you draw your swords and you hold your Bible out, no thumbs and then charge. And it's like the first one to find the verse and step out like wins, like, so how well you know your Bible. So when, when I got to college, I didn't fully believe in evolution. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You were like knee deep in it. Yeah. 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 Um, but there, in there were some things that like led to question marks for me because I, like I said, the Baptist pastor's son. So his dad was my pastor and there was a sermon that he preached my senior year. I was going off to college about how it's against God to move away from your church family for college. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that sounds odd. Sounds real specific. Yeah. And then he did one where like in Revelation, it says that, you know, you can't, you can't calculate when the Lord's going to return. You can't know the hour or the day, but he had calculated the year and that the year doing all the math and everything on the screen, it turns out 1996 was when um, <laughs> Jesus was going to return. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God, I'm going to miss my prom. <laughs> 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 and I was like, maybe I'm not as into this, you know? So it really was me moving away from all of that and getting to uh, Southwest Texas State University at the time. It's now called Texas State University, but um, it's always been known as like a party school. And that's where I kind of was more exposed to other people and that I could sort of let my hair down and um, be myself. So yeah, so it, it was a little while. And I think that's what's made me a good educator is because I understand where my students or where people are coming from. Like I get it. I've been there. And so I'm like, you're just, I'm going to need you to come a little, come a little this way. The riddle scale. I don't know if you're familiar no. from it's, you know, repulsion and this, and it's for like a homophobia riddle scale, but you can really kind of use it in a couple of different ways, but repulsion all the way to like nurturance, um, support, you know, all this. And so, um, tolerance is still on the negative 
side of the scale and even acceptance. Like I accept, but then it's like, what are you doing for advocacy, for support, for nurturance? So it's going, but if we can move someone from repulsion to tolerance, then that's still like positive movement. All right. A couple of things. Number one, and I'm, I'm not poking fun. I'm just, I'm just curious that like you heard a sermon where, where they stated that God wouldn't want you to move away from home for college. Were you like college didn't exist in like biblical times or like <laughs> any sort of questioning of the logic of that? Yeah. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not teasing about it. I, I just, I get genuinely interested because so I'm Jewish and I'm like, I know old Testament like backwards and forwards. And we're taught to question things and we do question things. And a lot of it doesn't totally make sense. Like you first question Adam and Eve, they had two sons. How do their sons have wives? How are we not all products of incest? Like you start to, you know, have these questions and sometimes they have answers and sometimes they don't, but something that's that specific to like your situation in that moment, you had to have like some questions. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's where I was like teeter tottering, you know, like, cause I was like, on my way out. And if I hadn't moved to San Marcos, like to the four-year institution, I was looking at moving to Paris, Texas. No. <laughs> which because they Texas. Yes. They have a junior college there, but they um they fully fund their cheerleaders. And so, you know, as a, a gal who needed to go to college on Pell Grants and all that, having a full funded scholarship even at a junior college was appealing. Um so all the places I was looking, like I wasn't I wasn't looking in Houston. My goal was to always move away from my family, you know? So yeah, so it did, it didn't sit well with me. It still doesn't. And then I even have found old letters from my pastor that he sent to me while I was in college. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and they're so judgmental and like really gross. Uh <laughs> like judging you for leaving or for this like sinful life that he assumes you were leading or yes. that you needed to come back and... and fall in line essentially no basically that like it's clear that i'm not right for his son that he you know needs a more godly woman yada 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 and now like that guy is the pastor of a large church in houston and he was a licensed minister when we were in high school i would travel around and sit dutifully on the second row yeah it was i mean yeah so it's interesting i've come a long way baby (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, absolutely. Uh, and my my second question about that specific piece that you shared is, so 1996, he, he didn't know the day or the time. He knew the, the year, though. So he had 365 days to, to predict this thing. What happened in 1997 when, like, that did not come to fruition? I don't know, dude. I left. Like, I moved. <laughs> I wasn't even there. I don't even know that anybody even, like, called him on it, you know? Why not? I don't Anytime anyone predicts that the world is ending, I'm like, this world better fucking end. Or, like, <laughs> how do you still have followers? I don't know. I mean, because, I and this is kind of crazy. So the pastor had four kids. The oldest son was our youth minister. The second oldest son was our music director. The third was the one that I dated. And then the fourth was the daughter who was like the pretty, pretty princess. And the youth minister ended up in prison for molesting kids in our, in our youth group. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I walked away and never looked back. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I would have done the same given, given the opportunities, but it's good that you were able to like get away. Cause I feel like, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard because you're being pulled 
in one specific direction by somebody who wields a lot of power and and also just leaving in general like leaving everyone that you know behind is difficult enough right like without that pressure yeah and I had a hard time because Houston I mean it is a big city and so all I knew was you know going to chain restaurants and being in traffic and you know whatnot and then I get to this <laughs> small town uh in Texas and I the first semester was a, a difficult adjustment but I did find my way you know and um, I ended up, I was a part of a residential college program. So we had classes block and roll together. And I love, I mean, I still live, I currently live in San Marcos, uh, where I had moved to. Um, our river is 72 degrees year round, and it's a really big part of my life. And so um, I have a tattoo of the river. <laughs> and yeah, so, and I moved back here from Philadelphia, specifically because, I mean, it was actually in 2008, it was named uh, the number one place to raise a family by US News and World Report. And actually, when I... It was before I was in that four month stint in New Orleans. I used to go for uh, one of the comedy festivals there. I went like six years in a row leading up to that. And there was one day I was standing in the lobby of the hotel where I was staying and I said something on the phone or whatever. And the gal from behind the desk come, walks around up to me. She's like, excuse me, did I hear that you said you live in San Marcos, Texas? And I was like, yeah. She goes, didn't you guys only have like one murder last year? <laughs> and, specific. Yeah, it was so interesting. But like in New Orleans, you know, it's like one a day or, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty prevalent. And so it was so interesting to me that she was like, whoa, you live in like this really safe place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to like find your place. Like I said, you could have been just in Houston and not ever have left because that's an easier thing than taking a chance. And I do want to ask, do you identify as, as bisexual, correct? Yes. We asked the coming out question here is more of like a, a journey. Like you don't just, you know, you come out to yourself, you come out to friends and family, you come out to uh, acquaintances. And then you, there's essentially with performers, there's a, a public coming out or a constant public coming out. So it's kind of like, I guess the question is kind of what is that what was that journey for you? And then also, were you aware of this journey while you were knee deep in the in the church stuff? Yeah. Um, granted, yeah, like people are like, when did you come out? And it's like an everyday thing, right? If you're at the grocery store and you're buying flowers and they're like, oh, is this for your boyfriend? And you're like, no, it's for my girlfriend. Or do you just not come out? You know, like it's always, it could be like a daily. It's a, yeah. <laughs> it's a decision that you have to make constantly where it's just like, Am I safe here to say like, yes, this is for my girlfriend? Right. Or is it like, oh, they're just for myself or for my boyfriend or whatever? Or do you use the word partner so that, you know, it's a technically true and you're not disrespecting your relationship, but you're also not putting yourself in necessarily like a situation? Right. Yeah. So when I was nine uh, and 10, like I remember like sleepovers, I would, you know, make out with friends and, you know, do like, you know, same sex. And it was never other sex. It was always girls. So that was interesting. But then pretty much it wasn't a thing. Like I didn't even, I think I was more just so focused on being a student leader and being a good girlfriend and all that stuff. It wasn't like something that was like an internal struggle for me, I guess, if you will, um, through high school. And then in college, I ended up immediately in an abusive relationship <laughs> where I was very controlled by a, a partner, a male partner. And, um, so then after that relationship ended, I joined a sorority, um, which is a great place to, to find gals. And then, and <laughs> don't tell them all the stereotypes are true. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, but then, and it was honestly, uh, my first like 
I even like if you read through my journal and where I was deliberating over like, am I gay or am I, you know, what's going on with me was after college because there was like a gal that we were very, very close. And so, yeah, so I ended up, uh, I don't know if you know the show Mortified where people read from their journal, but I just gave them my journals and was like, you tell me what you want me to read. And because I did a Morta Pride show. And so like where I was sort of like waffling and, you know, figuring out, I don't know, my way. But there was never a point where I was like, you know, mom, you know, I'm bisexual. I think she probably heard me talk about it in comedy, like on stage or my brother and sister too, like kind of that. Like I've always been more casual about it, but I think it's because I have had this sort of separate life um, since I've been, since I was 17. And then I've been heavily involved, you know, working in higher ed. Then I became one of the people who um, was like an allies trainer with like our safe space program and sort of working with our queer kids and queer community and stuff like that. So um, I, I don't know if I'm fully answering your question. Yeah, you are. And then, yeah. And th- what really sucked about it was I got accidentally pregnant when I was 23 which ended up, that's why I got married, um, which is real stupid. Um, I ended up having a, a miscarriage, but we still had the wedding set. So it was like, let's prove to everybody that's not why we were getting married and still got married because I was, you know, when you're 23, you're brilliant. And so then I was like in this monogamous relationship but then definitely when I was drinking I would end up like making out with other gals and stuff which he didn't seem to mind but yeah so and then I was married for nine years so and ended up having two kids like after being married for six years is when the reproduction started and that's a real hamper on dating is is having babies <laughs> but yeah so after I finally left my kids were two and three that gave me the opportunity to just like slut it up <laughs> what you know when they were like away so um yeah I assume <laughs> yeah no yeah so then um I don't know I've I've and it's been now they're 14 and 12 right so um uh, it's been over a decade that I've been able to really do what I want <laughs> or yeah. who who I want. <laughs> no, I, I always think that's kind of cool. That's why I try to ask the question as like a layered question, because I think it's cool when, you know, you didn't necessarily have to have this like coming out moment where you're just like going through life and you're like, this is who I'm dating now. And, you know, and that's the coming out moment because that's how, you know, eventually I'd like it to to be more like that, where it's not just, oh, I have to, mom, dad, I have something to tell you that it could just be like, this is who I'm dating right now. And this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I mean, they're pretty, pretty racist in my household. So it was more like I was threatened if I brought home a person of color, like that I would have my legs broken or my arms broken or things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I was like, what if I brought home a black woman? But that's the thing is like, I would never want to like, yeah, like even taking someone home, like it's never been like a, I need the approval of my parents or like I just because yeah, that that's always been a weird kind of situation. My stepdad's real terrible, so. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you got out. <laughs> I got, I escaped. And yeah, and then, and it gives me the opportunity to raise my kids. Um, you know, like one of them identifies as queer and as pansexual, actually. And um, But 
even like when they were little, they would interchange like boyfriends or girlfriends, like when they were talking about other people and their partners. And we've gone to like the Guess Who's Gay panel, you know, like during National Coming Out Week and stuff like that. And they know trans people and they, you know, so um, I've tried to, I was actually, I was hoping I might end up with an intersex kid because I was like, I'll do right by this child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's so great that they have, you know, because that's one of the things I talk about with a lot of folks. Um, is that like we didn't have as children the la- even the language, like even and not necessarily like labels, just the, the language on or the idea that queer existed in the first place. Like a lot of people were unaware that it, everyone wasn't just hetero and everything wasn't just heteronormative. Right. Um, so, you know, kids now, especially, you know, with an open minded parent, like they get to have the tools to say I'm pansexual at, at a, a young age and to have and to know that their mom is going to be like, great, you know, <laughs> and if that changes or if you're still figuring things out also great cool yeah I mean I see my role as being like bumper cars like I'm not trying to make you I'm trying to you know give you your space to be who you are um, but obviously offer guidance but yeah for for Halloween my kid went to a virtual party like through the oculus like through a VR headset with um, like a, a queer kid virtual party and was like super looking forward to it so that's neat too that there's these other places where community is available to them in ways that certainly was not when we were kids, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I just think, I just think that's so great. And then, you know, I did want to talk about, cause you are a published author now. I am. <laughs> what made you say like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to go on a book tour and I'm going to do an audible recording of this book. What, what was that journey? So my whole life, like writing, that's really like, I, I would love to be sustained from my writing, like financially sustained, which is kind of a crazy thing. But, you know, I got awards in, in junior high and all the stuff like for my English. I was the, the editor of our literary magazine in high school. In junior high, I even started an advice column for our newspaper. And I had to write <laughs> the letters for advice and answer them <laughs> because it, I was just starting it. So it's always been like a, a dream, you know, and um, the easiest way for me to get in, I mean, obviously in the world today, every, anybody can self-publish. Everybody can do that now. So what I did for about eight years was I compiled quotes from my boys because I started posting them on social media and I was getting all kinds of feedback where people were like, oh my God, the quotes from your boys. And so finally I ended up just downloading all of my social media and searching for like those quotes and whatnot, collating them. And then put together this book, Mom, What is the Opposite of Guacamole? Uh, Which is 13 chapters of their different personalities or personae of, you know, kind of the categories of shit they said. And so it's been really well received. And the whole audible thing or like recording an audiobook, it hadn't occurred to me, but because of the pandemic in 2020, a lot of people turn to audiobooks. And so that's where a lot of authors are actually making their money now. And so I was like, huh, how do I capitalize on that, uh, which I have yet to do so. So please buy the book uh, because I needed the money back that I've invested. But we went into the studio and it's actually the boys' voices recording their quotes. So it's it's really cool. It's really endearing. Yeah. And the tour was just me being like, I need to publicize this. And, and I was hoping like to get different, you know, SEO, like in different parts of the country, people Googling and whatnot. And so, and it was also a great way to go do comedy. I sat next to a farm stand and in Maine selling my book. Um, I did pizza parties in Virginia. Uh, I did a whole bunch of different stuff, um, which was 
kind of a test too of what I can handle and if I can do these things. And it was it was so rewarding and so amazing. And so I want to do more of that. And I really want to publish memoirs and, and essays. But this was like a baby step um, so that I could learn from this experience. And so I'm proud of it, but I definitely am hungry for more. Good. Stay hungry. <laughs> Stay hungry. Well, um, thanks so much, Kelly, for, for sitting down with us and, and talking with us. And can you let everyone know where to find you, where to find your book? where to find whatever you want us to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have a website, kellystone.org, because being a single mom is like being in a nonprofit. And so you can find all of my social media and my book and all that stuff there. Um, I will say that it is more profitable for me for you to order the book directly from me and I'll ship it to you versus through Amazon because there's a lot of middlemen in the way. Yeah, Amazon has enough money. Amazon has enough money. Go directly to Kelly. Yeah, um, and, but then, and the audiobook is on 42 different platforms. Um, so you can find it in that way, but it's called mom. What is the opposite of guacamole? Yeah, that, that would be the best way to support me and my family right now is through purchasing several copies of, of my book. <laughs> and for everyone, you know, <laughs> I just, somebody in Chicago just ordered five hard copies. So, um, yeah, Perfect. happy, happy to do that. <laughs> you like that person in Chicago. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Kelly, for being part of the near and queer to my heart family. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you soon at some point. Um, yeah, there's a new show coming up in New Orleans that I think I'm going to be on um, Return nice. Return of the Stupid Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll see you then. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Stay tuned for a sample of Kelly's book, read by her children. Mom, why do they have cake at funerals? Mom, are these military bunk beds actually from the military? Yep. Then they've definitely been puked on. Mom, if your stomach was more in and your boobs were more out, you'd look really pretty. Mom, thanks for getting us this trampoline. It was exactly what was missing from our bedroom. Mom, what time do you want to go skinny dipping in the full moon for your birthday? Mom, did you know that girls say more words than boys? Mom, this breakfast burrito is delicious. Have they invented something called a lunch burrito? Mom, did you know that on the other side of the world, a pizza just got baked? Mom, you're just throwing tacos at me. Here, Mom. For your birthday, here's some candy we had at the house. Also, we filled your laptop with water. Mom, hurry. I want to get outside to play in the Denver snow before it melts. Mom, I wish third grade wasn't, like, a thing, you know? I mean, why can't I just, like, get a house and stuff already? Thank you to Kelly Stone for sharing her world with us. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our theme song. Social media with us. Near and Queer to My Heart on Instagram and Facebook. Queer to My Heart on Twitter. If you like what you hear, five-star review on Apple. Follow us, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Let's show some love to each other because that's what life's all about, right? Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.